You guys can go ahead and be seated. All right, before I start my message, can I go ahead and just rant to you for a minute and get something off my chest because it'll make me feel better if I go ahead and do that? Yes, I have the microphone, so I'll go ahead and do that. Um, so I just want to make sure we're clear on a theological issue that, that is not necessarily pertinent to my sermon today, but it is pertinent to just how, how you see and receive things. When I was in Bible college and I was teaching, it was... It was my method, it was my normal thing that if I was teaching on a passage, I would generally commit that to memory and or have it typed out in my notes. And I would teach from my notes. And my instructor, whom I love, awesome guy, impacted my life in tremendous ways. He's like, Paul, when you read a passage, you still just need to have a Bible in your hand. And I'm like, but I haven't memorized. Well, just, it, it, it carries more weight if you have the Bible in your hand when you do it. Or even if you pretend to read from it, even if you, I'm like, I can't use the Bible as a physical prop. And whether it is written in a scroll or if it is the very first thing that ever came across the printing press and now we have it all condensed into one book for the first time in most of history, the words of scripture and the power within is not the ink and the paper, but it is to the application of the heart and mind. Do we understand that principle? Okay, so when I teach from an iPad and I don't waver on my Bible as if it is some prop, I need you as a church to understand that we hold tightly to the word of God. That I don't, I don't attempt to bring you my opinion up here, but I will always work from scripture and unpack what scripture teaches. Do we understand that? Okay, I'm glad. And if you have questions about that, I have no problem talking to you. But the, the concept, or the term is animism. When we apply spiritual falsehoods to objects in our life and give them power that they don't have. The Bible is incredibly powerful, but it does not have animistic power. God does not just bless the pages of the paper, but the application to the mind and heart. And that is my intention, that as we look at the word of God, that it would reform our mind and our heart. We understand, church? All right, let's go. All right, so as a dad, I've seen courage work out in my kids in different ways. And it's funny that as they grow, because sometimes the way that they need to grow in their courage expands in ways that doesn't exactly make sense to you. Like, one of my kids was afraid to jump off the diving board into the pool. And, okay, it's like we understand it. But she was also the same kid who could, like, climb four stories high on some play structure without even breaking a sweat and making me incredibly nervous, right? It, courage, it just works out in different ways. There's some things that it's like we naturally have the courage for, and there's some things that it's like we need to work up the courage for. And I don't know about you in your life, but do you need any more courage in any areas? I mean, is there anything that we still get nervous about in our society? Because I remember back in 2000, we were all very nervous about Y2K, right? I mean, we're con concerned that the lamps in the doctor's office needed to be Y2K approved. Or, you know, in 2001, there's big anthrax scare, scare. We were all afraid to open our mail because there might be some white powder in there. And it's gone on from there. 2002, the West Nile virus. 2003, SARS. 2005, bird flu. 2006, E. coli. And it just seems like the news always has something that we should be nervous about. Whether it's the final financial market, what's going on with health in the world, there's always something that seems to grab a hold of this thread in our life called fear. And we have to work up the courage to do what we know we're supposed to do in the season. And we're, we're in a series, if it's your first time here, we're in a series called The Story. We're in week number seven. 
And we are working all the way from the very beginning where God created man and set them in paradise. And that, that's really, if you're going to describe the Bible in five sections, the first is paradise, Adam and Eve. The next is Israel, which is the section that we're in. And then from there, it goes to the time of Jesus, the early church, and then a return to paradise. You can describe the entire story of the Bible in those five sections. And in this one, the people of God are moving from the wilderness and they're supposed to be moving into the promised land. And last week, we looked at some of the mistakes and some of the lessons that they needed to have the right foundation for God to build them into the nation that they needed to be. And we're entering this time where they're finally going to go into the land. And we're going to revisit some of the passages we looked at last week as we get into this calling to be courageous and go into the land. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, and we'll put this up on the screen as I read it. It says, the, the land, it, it, let me give some context first. Twelve spies were set, set into the land, and the land was now occupied by, by different people, Amorites. In Genesis chapter 15, when God is speaking to Abraham, he actually prophetically tells Abraham, he says, when your people come back to claim the land, the people who are living there will have experienced the full measure of sin, is what Genesis 15 says. And so the people there, they have fallen into full depravity. Their worship of false gods includes infant sacrifice and child sacrifice, sexual immorality. And Genesis 15 describes it as the full measure. And so God's sending them in to take the land. And so the the people send spies out. And 10 of the spies just bring back this bad report of the land. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak that come from the Nephilim. We, we seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes. We looked the same to them. Not only did they look like grasshoppers, but they also could read the other people's mind and the other people were thinking that they looked like grasshoppers. Isn't it amazing what fear can do to your mind? It can tell you what you can't do and then give you these mind-reading capacities that you never had before. They were spies. They weren't in there talking to them and visiting with them. First of all, I just want to make sure that you see, God has said, I'm bringing you to a land. And he brings them through the wilderness miraculously. Manna provided every morning. Meat provided. Water from stones. Incredible provision of God. And he brings them to the land. And as some of the people see it, they describe the place where God is bringing you to The place where God has led us is a place that will just devour us. Now, I don't want to be, I don't want to lack sympathy for what they saw. Because the people that were living there, they were bigger than them. They did have fortified cities. The fight seemed almost impossible, but the way that they saw the situation and the way that they understood themselves is a reflection of how they understood their heavenly father. Because as we look at this passage, our brain says, because we connect all the dots really quick, God just provided and he defeated the most powerful nation in the world. He brought down Egypt with his incredible plagues. His power was on display. And he brings you to the edge and you say, these people are too big for you to fight. Don't you know anything that God just did? Like we look at that and we understand their actions here are a reflection of their faith. Your faith will change the way you see your current situation and the way you see yourself. What you think about when you think about your heavenly father will change 
how you see yourself in a mirror. I want to explain it this way. Uh, when I was in college, I had to do a lot of video production work for a camp. I made these weekly videos for the camp, and I had to spend a ton of time behind a camera and and in video editing software, and it wasn't my most favorite job, but one of the things that came about from doing that work, it made me a terrible person to watch any movie with. My wife will attest to this, all right? Because once you spend enough time doing video production, you begin to recognize the intentionality of framing a a scene. Because whenever you're creating something in video, you have to create like a storyboard and say, this is the story that's going to happen. And you have to kind of create these frames where you say, this is the perspective that I want to build for them to see. And so what it does is when you're watching something and it's like, okay, here's the movie shot. And then all of a sudden the main character isn't in the center of the frame anymore, but this window right behind him is and then the background music changes to something creepy? Like some of you know, like something's about to pop through that window and grab the main character. Because the way that they're framing the situation, where your focus is and what you see has been changed and it doesn't make sense to see it that way. The way that you frame a situation will tell you what's about to happen. And so when I hear people talk about their life, I can predict their future in a certain way because I can tell you what's about to happen in their faith based on the way that they talk about a situation. Oh, Paul, everything is just, you know, everything's terrible right now and like, I can't make anything happen. I can't make anything go right. Like I've tried stuff and it just isn't working and I'm doing things and then the results aren't coming the way that I want them to and I just feel like whatever I do, it always ends up wrong and I get being there, but it's different than when you hear someone say, man, everything is breaking apart, but I know that God has this. Everything has been incredibly difficult, but I know that God is not going to abandon me. I know that God is going to see me through this. And what I am not telling you is about the power of self-talk. The power isn't in what you say, but it is in what you believe, and it is how you think. And when you begin to describe your situation with the recognition that God still has his hand on this, I can tell you that's a place where God's going to work. That's a place where God is going to take them from the valley and he's going to lead them to the mountaintop because when someone begins to speak of God's goodness when they are in the midst of difficulty, God knows that he can trust that person with blessings. And if all you think about the situation you're in is just all that you're doing and all that you're trying and it's all about you and you're at the center and you're at control, God is going to continue to bend and break you until you recognize that you are not in control. Some of us need that desperately, but we still haven't got the message yet. And I want to hear you. It's the Lord's love that he disciplines you. It's his grace that he brings you to a greater recognition of your dependency on him. And I'm not saying every pain in life was something that God pushed into your life, but I will say every pain that comes into life is something that he can use for his glory. Every difficulty that you walk through is a lesson that can be learned. Everything that you have had to mourn through and walk through, he will take that and use it so you can be a source of compassion for other people. And the way that you see your situations, it matters so much. The way that you see yourself as a child of God, no matter what you walk through, someone that God will be faithful to and God will walk through the situations, it matters so much. Because you'll either come into a situation that feels impossible and you will say, I was like a grasshopper. 
I could do nothing against this situation. This land is going to be hard to live in. It's going to devour all of the people who live there. And you'll be someone who just retreats, retreats from places where God has called you to go. God is going to call you into some conversations with people that feels like it is not going anywhere. It is not getting better. God says for us to live at peace with all people as far as it depends upon you. And you will enter into a conversation doing everything that depends upon you to do in that conversation. And it will go terribly sometimes. But your active obedience of saying what needs to be said and doing what you need to do will be noticed in the kingdom of God and there will be blessings and healing that flow into your life even if the person refuses to be part of the healing. We are called to do things that will often be difficult and where so many people want to retreat and just take the easy way out. I, I want to give you a few things about courage today. The first, instead of retreating, choose courage. Instead of retreating, is there a battle that needs to be fought in your life? Is there a conversation that needs to be had in your life that you have been running from? And you know God would be honored if I did this. It would be right if I did this. If I made this change, if I broke this addiction, if I got out of debt, if I started serving, if I started giving, wherever the Spirit of God is beginning to push in your life that you've been running from, Instead, choose courage. Because for the Israelites who were supposed to be entering into this land, it was all fear that was going to keep them from going in. It was all fear. We can't do it on our own. God said he was going to do it. God said he was going to win the fight. God said he was going to do his part. And if you begin to have fear well up and say, well, you know what? I'm not gonna do my part because God might not do his part. You're never, even, you're never even giving God the opportunity to act on your behalf because you're retreating before the battle even begins. We, we need to choose courage in the face of those times where we feel like we need to run away. It says we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and the way we looked to them. When you begin to have conversations in your mind about what someone else thinks about you. You have entered into a territory that bears no fruit. God never calls you to be concerned about what someone else thinks about you. But as you live your life for him, he'll handle their opinions. If someone criticizes a godly person, he says he'll balance the scales. If someone, if someone criticizes you, he calls you to bless them. If someone attacks you, he calls you to pray for them, not to bring about vengeance. You are never to be concerned about their thoughts because on their thoughts, you will not rise or fall. God will make his servant stand. And as you live for him, that's all that matters. In other people's opinions, they should not be holding you up and they should not be tearing you down. That is a source of bondage in your life. If you think being obedient to the calling of God on your life requires someone else's approval, you've bought into a lie. And especially when God is sending them in to take a land, the inhabitants of the land's opinion is not being brought into play. But we talk ourselves out of listening to God sometimes. What will people think? 
What will my spouse think if I all of a sudden get serious about God and they know all the mistakes that I've made over the course of our marriage and the previous marriage and what will people say? What will my friends say if I begin to change the way I speak, the way that I live, the way my college career is going? What will people say? Oh man, I wanna be sensitive. I've had too much rest, I'm sorry. I don't know if you can feel the intensity, but this is what happens when I get some rest. I, I wanna be sensitive here because I know that it's like people's opinions, they just, they have these, these disgusting roots that pull down into our heart, but I want in all love to challenge your thinking and just ask the question, whose opinion matters the most in your life? The opinion of the God who created you or the people who surround you? And not what you know is right, but in the way that you live, whose opinion matters most? I don't, you know, they can can look at me and call me a grasshopper if they want to. I, I don't care. They can refer to me as Jiminy Cricket if they would like, but I don't really care what they think. I care what God thinks. There is only one judge. There is only one who sits upon the throne. There is only one who I will give an account to of the choices I made, the life that I lived, who I will give an account to of every idle word that ever leaves my lips. I am responsible to him and him alone. And if some people don't like me, don't believe in me, don't expect much out of me, or don't follow where I'm going, I don't really care as long as I hear, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of my life. That is my dream, and that should be your dream too. Seemed like grasshoppers in their eyes. Instead of self-doubt, choose courage. Instead of self-doubt, choose courage. Because we're not looking to live off of our own strength. We're looking to live off of the strength of our Heavenly Father, the provision that when we walk in His ways, we will see His results and see His blessings. You know, when the bad report came in verse 6, Numbers 14, we can go ahead and put this up on the screen. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephaniah, were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes. That's a sign of grieving and anger in this time. It's like, I cannot believe, like, and just like, you know, Hulk Hogan's the shirt right here. Um, but but it, was, it was a mourning, it was a symbol of mourning and extreme passion and anger. And he said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored, it's exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. There's a completely flipped picture of the other report. The other report said the land's gonna devour us and then Joshua and Caleb say, no, we're gonna devour them. We're gonna take it all. Like fear says that we can't win, but faith says we've already won. Like the battle belongs to the Lord, the battle is already over. All we need to do is walk through it and move through it. And the perspective of the situation, they saw the same exact land, but it was their faith. It was their faith that completely changed the way that they saw it. And there's a fight there, but that fight 
was already one. And so Joshua had the faith to see God move. And so in Joshua chapter one, verses six through nine, we're gonna go to the next passage. God, God is speaking into Joshua's situation, into these battles that they're about to go into. Because before we saw, okay, they were spying out the land and then God had to see a generation age out and die before he'd bring them into the land. And now it's time for the battle to start. Joshua is in the lead position here and it's time to go take the land. And it says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That is a strong promise. And echoes of that promise are written all throughout Scripture. From Proverbs to the teachings of Christ to the teachings uh, of Peter and Paul in the New Testament, you're gonna see that the way that you live matters. That when you live for God and you follow his teachings, you follow his decrees, there will be blessings that you experience. And there, there are whole mainline denominations in the U.S., that are breaking apart because they're having disagreement over whether the way that we live matters. It's come onto the stage for the debate of does holiness in the life of the believer matter? And I want to affirm to you from Old Testament to New Testament through revelations, through the judgments that God pours out through the book of Revelations, at the very end of time, the way that you live matters. And today, and the place that Israel at was in this, and the, the, the thing that I want you to leave thinking about today is in the realm of courage. They were about to enter into a fight that was impossible for them to win. And God says, be strong and be courageous because you know that I've called you into this, the, this land. You know that I've given you instructions to do this. And when you follow my instructions, you know that blessings are on the other side of that obedience, but there is gonna be fear that's there. And so it is in your life. That when God speaks to you and he says, you're in this season of singleness before you find that person, before you become the right person for that person, and you need to trust God in the way that you live. There is fear that if I don't do it the world's way, I won't have what I want. Trust God. If right now, the way that you lead your business does not look like it's working, but you know you're living according to God's standards, trust him. As you walk in his ways, you will experience his blessings. In verse eight, it said, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it night and day so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I am not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I will tell you that when you follow God's ways, he promises blessings. Some of his blessings are joy through difficulty. I've watched people 
go through cancer treatments in this church where they say, you know, it's hard, but the joy of the Lord is with me. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God people walk them through each session of chemotherapy and on either way that they've come out of it, when I've seen people walk with God through those situations, they testify that God used it for good. The blessing that he gives is not always the blessing that the world expects, but he always gives a blessing for obedience. And when you're going through a difficult situation, here's a couple definitions of courage. Number one, courage is not the absence of fear. It's moving forward in spite of fear. God might call you through something that you're afraid to go through. And courage is making that intentional decision. I'm gonna walk through it even though I don't know what the cost might be. You know, I, I try to turn my mind towards the, the things of the kingdom of God as often as I can. Uh, Martin Luther was a theologian, and one of the statements that, that he made in, in one of his writings that stuck with me through college was think upon death often, which is like, that's morbid. Like, thank you for that on a Sunday morning, uh, Martin Luther and Paul for reminding of us. But one of the reasons that he said that is because it changes the way that you live in the temporal when you think of the eternal. And when I think about just even, you know, what will the conversations in heaven be like when we are outside of this finite timeline? And we talk about the things that we feared in our lifetime. And there are other generations and cultures that will put us as Americans to shame. Well, you know, um, the apostle Peter is believed to have been crucified to death, but because he didn't consider dying in the same way as Christ even to be an attainable thought, that he he was just unworthy of being crucified. And so he requested and they obliged that he was crucified upside down and killed. Other generations, um, you know, people who were burned alive at the stake because they dared to translate the word of God into a language that the common man could read. People who were torn apart by animals for refusing to disavow Christ as Savior. And then our generation, I was afraid to post about my faith. I was afraid to wear a shirt that had church on it because people might criticize me. I was afraid to put a sticker on my car or other people would question my faith while I drive through the city of Cape Coral I was afraid to talk about my faith with a coworker because there might be repercussions at work. You know, fill in the blank. And I don't want there to be guilt, but I want there to be reflection upon what will matter most and what will matter longest. And I think that we have invested far too much of ourselves into far too many of the wrong things. And I want to call your heart back to the things of God because those are the things that are a foundation that your life can really be built on. Those are the things that when you get it right and you get through the fear that you really experience joy and peace and love. And that's what I want for you. But you've got to make a decision to say, you know what, it's worth it. It's worth it. It, I might be afraid to take the step that I need to take, but I'm going to move forward in spite of fear. The second definition is courage Courage is fear that has said its prayers. I'm not even telling you that you need to get rid of all the fear. I'm just saying you need to acknowledge that I have fear about this, but I've prayed about this. I've brought this before my heavenly father, and so I'm ready. 
I'm ready to take this step. I'm ready to figure it out. I'm ready to move forward with God. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And why can we trust God once we've said our prayers with those fears? Joshua chapter three, verses 14 through 16. We're gonna put this up as I begin to, to wrap this thing up. It says, so when the people broke camp, this is when they're like finally going in. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan River, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. So the, the river is huge. The river is up. And yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the people crossed over Jericho. All right, so this passage, this is what I want you to see. The ark of the covenant, it says the ark there. It was a place where God's presence was supposed to rest. And it was so holy that it was plated with gold and there were hoop loops on it. They were made of gold and poles would go through and then the priests would carry it up on their shoulder the pole, by the poles. They would not touch it because it was so holy. And, and as the ark, the presence of the Lord is out in front of Israel going into this place where there would be battle that was unwinnable for them and they're approaching a river that they have no way to cross. There is no way through unless God makes a way and his presence is so holy that the waters of the Jordan River themselves regarded the holiness of God and separated because it dare not touch the Ark of the Covenant. And the holiness of God made a way where there was no way. And creation itself regards the Father's presence as holy in a way that created miracles. We have regarded the holiness of God with contempt as a church. And there are hearts that need to break to experience healing. Because we've treated God like he's a grasshopper. Like his opinion doesn't matter. Like our choices don't matter. And I think of James 2.19 where it says, you believe that there's a God good. Even the demons believe and the demons shudder. I think the demons are probably astonished at the disregard that we have for the holiness of God because even they experience fear at his name, but we have treated it with contempt. And we've said the fear is too powerful, but church, I wanna remind you, our heavenly father is too powerful. His holiness should move you towards obedience in a way that you say, I can't imagine living my life for anything but him and all out. And the clearer your picture gets of who he is and how holy he is, the more courage should well up in your heart. The more fear should be pushed out. The more that you should just shake and tremble at the thought that when I close my eyes and pray from my heart to God, that he hears at his throne. That Jesus hears me. That when I worship, he receives it. That is something that should create awe and passion and reverence and courage.
need you to see it, church. We serve a holy God who calls you to impossible things. And His power will be on display in the lives of those who have the courage to take the step. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you help us to see both your love and your power and your holiness all into one that calls us to live a life where we trust you through our fear and we worship you through difficulty because we have seen just a glimpse of your glory. And we know that you can do impossible things through your people. You told us that we would do even greater things than the things that you did while you were here on earth. And so, Father, raise our expectation, raise our calling, raise our courage up so that we would live a life that honors you in this city. Would you break our hearts and raise our expectations in Jesus' name?